Okay, let's go. So we are on uh, Hazardanan. We are on Dafkhaf Dalad Amud Alif. Yeah, Amar Khanina. So we're going to discuss again. We continue the discussion of honor given to Tfilin. Um, and then we're going to discuss types of behavior that are problematic or are allowed in davening, uh, like while you're davening. Amar Khanina, Anira Iti. So in Khaf Dalad Amud Alif. Towards the bottom. Amar Rabbi Hanina, Anira Iti, Ed Rabbi As, Rabbi Hanina said. Now we're going to quote him a couple times. Rabbi Hanina said, I saw Ed Rabbi, I saw Rabbi, um, uh, Rabbi Yehuda, Shetala Tfilav, uh, who would hang his Tfilin, um, he'd hang his Tfilin. Now, what does it mean he's hang his Tfilin? It would mean he, uh, he, you know, to store them, he'd hang them on a hook or something. Mighty vase, so the Gemara brings a question, a brighter that is a problem. And, and if Rabbi Yehuda would do such a thing, it would be astounding. If you hang your tefillin, your life is hung. Meaning it's like you're culpable to be killed. The expounders of knots or the expounders of, of hidden things. Um, uh, how do they, what's the source that somebody who hangs his tefillin, hangs his life? Amru, they say, It says in, the, in one of the psukim, I think about the curses, it says, and your life will be hung uh, in front of you. This is referring to, when is it that your life is hanging in front of you? It's referring to somebody who hangs his tefillin. Um, because there's another pasuk that refers to somebody that puts on tefillin merits long life. Um, uh, so, so it's, well, how could Rabbi Yudha do such a thing that he would hang his hang his tefillin? Lokash, it's not a problem. There's no problem here. His his behavior was fine. How are we going to get around this? Um, because the case where it's a problem is if he hung it by its strap. So then it's, it's hanging by its strap and the, the box of the tefillin is, is also hanging. And habakitsitsa, uh, but in the case where it's allowed, it's hanging almost, the, the, the box is hanging and the, the straps are hanging below it. And that's an honorable way how to hang your tefillin because the straps anyway are long and hang anyway as long as the head, the, the box of the tefillin don't hang. V-bite, I'm alternatively another answer. Lo shana ritzua, velo shana ktsitsa. There's no difference if you hang it uh, by the straps or you hang it by the the box. Either way, you're not allowed to hang tefillin. Asur, it's forbidden. V'chitala, and if you, and how did Rebbe Yudha hang his tefillin that he says he hung them? Rebbe he hang them in a sack, in a tefillin bag. So if basically, practically, if you want to store your tefillin, if as long as they're in the bag, you're allowed to hang them. So you say you've got, you know, those, those new very popular tefillin bags, which the arm, you know, which protect them. Um, so you could hang those tefillin bags on a hook um, and that's allowed. Or you've got your tefillin in some type of bag with a, 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 a handle on it. You can hang it as long as it's in a bag. But when it's not in a bag, then you, according to one opinion, you're not allowed to hang it either by its strap or by its, um, or by, even by its, its head, even by its, its box. 
Maud Timus. And now, obviously, why wouldn't you be able to hang it in a bag? What, what would you have said? What would you have said? You might have thought that tefillin can never be hung just like a Sefer Torah cannot be hung. A Sefer Torah always has to be stored in a way that it's kahanacha. It's sitting. It's, it's, it's laid down. And you might have thought that tefillin also must be laid down and it can't be hung. Kamash Malan, that Tefillin can be hung a Sefer Torah can't. So the first little piece of our discussion is how to store tefillin. Next discussion is on a whole host of seemingly inappropriate behaviors when it comes to davening. Another statement by Rabbi Hanina. Anira iti at Rebbe. I saw Rebbe shegihek that he belched, he burped, upihek, and he, or, he, or he yawned. Vinit Atash, or he sneezed, Varak, and he spat. Um, uh, all these things. Umishtamish Babigdoi. So Umemashmesh Babigdoi. And he and he looked in his garment. Um let me charge my computer. Um and he 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 looked into his garment for um uh, for any loss. Um so unfortunately that was reality then. Uh, so he, he felt something biting him, so he looked into his garment and he took out a, lou- a louse. So this discussion is he took it, took it out in his, with his hand, or he took it out with, the, with not touching it, because if he touched it, he'd have to vas. So either way, if he used his, uh, his, uh, his garment to take out the louse, mm-hmm. so nevertheless, all these things seemingly are inappropriate to do during davening because you're standing before the king. And yet... Rabbi Hanina says he saw Rabbi do it. But what he wouldn't do was he wouldn't um, put back his talus if it fell to the floor while he was davening. He wouldn't interrupt his amida by bending down and picking up his talus. If it kind of fell off his shoulder, then we paskin, you can put it back on. But if it falls off completely, then you can't. And when he would... Uh, would uh, yawn, what would he do? yado al senatro. He would uh, put his hand to his chin to cover his yawn. So how can it be that he did all these actions? Because we're going to see that it seems you can't do these actions. Maitivai, we bring a, a brighter to question these actions. Hamashmiya kolo Somebody that raises his voice in davening, so he davens aloud, and this is generally understood as the in the Amida, not in the other parts of davening. Because he's he's considered from the small of emuna from faith, because he's he almost needs to speak out to Hashem to make him heard. He doesn't believe, so to speak, or he comes across as not not being not showing belief that Hashem hears him even if he speaks softly. And it continues, and somebody that raises his voice in davening is like the, the prophets, the, the false prophets. So it's learned from Eliyahu Navi when, um, when he had that showdown with the prophets of, ba- of Baal. And, the, the, and he says to Baal, shout, shout to your God. You know, maybe they can't hear you and they shout. Um, and so you see that the, pro- the false prophets, they shout to their gods. So somebody that shouts in their davening 
you uh, it's as if you're like a false a false uh, prophet umafahek and somebody who um, who what is that who yawns harayze mikase ruach that's uh, you you acting arrogantly hamit atesh betfilato somebody that sneezes in his davening simen ra lo it's it's a bad sign for him v'yesh omram and there are those that say it's not a simen ra but rather nikashu mechuar you see that he's uh, he's uh, disgusting his behavior is not right if he uh, if he sneezes in his davening. Haroik betfilato, somebody that spits in his davening. Ki'ilu rak It's as if he spat before the king. So now, how could Rebbe do all these actions? Just by the way, an interesting point is, um, we see in many cases, you do shout out in davening. Um, so why is it that you shouldn't shout out, it seems? So the, the, they explain that it depends when you're shouting out. In your private amida then you do it quietly because it's a private conversation with you and Hashem. But if you're davening for a shat at saraf, like for a, a, a difficult situation, like for somebody who's sick or a tragedy, um, then that then you, it's appropriate to shout out because you not you're not having a private conversation with Hashem. You're expressing your your anguish, and you're arousing so to so to speak. You're arousing Hashem's um, response. Because you're showing your anguish, but in davening, when you're privately davening on behalf of yourself and in, in, in the sense of, a, of for the community in your language, then it's a much more intimate uh, experience and then it would be inappropriate to shout out. Okay, so but nevertheless, we see all these actions that Rebbe did and seem to be completely forbidden. It makes sense that you if you you um belch or you yawn there's no difficulty when you are forced you know you something comes up and you and you grips by mistake or you yawn by mistake then you you that's what Rebbe did it doesn't mean he purposefully did it it just means it came upon him and he did it he didn't stop himself from doing it but to do it willingly, like to force yourself to grips or to to show a yawn, which show, show you know, which you might be able to do yourself to kind of um, show that you're bored and tired, um, then uh, then that's inappropriate. But to do it involuntary, then it's fine. You don't have to stop yourself. But to sneeze. Then it seems like sneezing is allowed and sneezing is not allowed. There's a, it's a mitat, it's a contradiction to each other. Kasha. So the Gemara answers mitatesh amitatesh namilo kasha. Sneezing on sneezing is not a problem. Kan milamala kan milamata. When is it inappropriate to sneeze? When it's a lower sneeze. When it's flatulence. Whereas an upper sneeze from your nose, that's something you can't control. And then you can sneeze. You don't have to block your nose with it, you don't have to stop it. But it's obviously inappropriate to um, flatulate during davening, but it is, it's not inappropriate to sneeze during davening. The Amarav Zaira ha milta avloli beiravamnuna v'takilili tikuli tamidoi. So it says, like this Rav Zaira says, there was a case that was in passing, it was told to me by the school of Rav Amnuna, and it's worth all the rest of my learning. Meaning, uh, once I learned this, 
I've, you know, it was, it was more valuable to me than all my learning because I have a problem with it. What's his problem? He learned from the house of uh, Rav Huna that a person who sneezes in his davening, it's a good sign for them. Because Because when somebody sneezes and feels that sense of relief, you know, you get a good geschmack feeling from sneezing. Just as you experience that feeling here in this world, Hashem is you giving Hashem nachas ruach in the above world. So it's like because you're doing it here, it's as if it's ex- you're experiencing it up there. So when he learned this din from this house of Ravuna, from the he was so happy, he was so relieved because he thought it might be a problem in sneezing, and he did have a you know he sneezed obviously he, he suffered from hay fever whatever it is, and when he th- heard that it was fine, he felt so relief, so much relief. Um, so, so that's what it means. There's a difference between sneezing from above and flatulating from below. But what about spitting on spitting? Because we saw that Rebuda spat during davening and it seems clear you're not allowed to spit. Spitting is also not a problem. It depends on what type of spitting. Because we could learn it like Rav Yehuda. What did Rebbe, how did Rebbe uh, spit? He spat like Rav Yehuda. The Amar Rav Yehuda, Hayah Oymed Bitfila. If you're standing in davening, when he's daven loy a rock, and you you get flemmy, and you now want to spit, Mavlio Betalito, you allowed to spit it out into your talus, into your cloak that you're wearing. Vim Talit Noehu, and if it's a very nice uh, cloak that you don't want to spit into, Mavlio Beafar Sekuto, you can spit it into your turban. So obviously a turban was something that was washed more and was you know more hardcore so you can you can spit it into your turban and that is what Rav Yehuda did he didn't just spit if he, he needed to spit he he spat in in uh, in a some type of clothing but you can't just spit onto the floor Ravina have a but here we got a bit of a contradiction to this Ravina was standing behind uh, Rav Ashi uh, while he was davening, while Rav Ashi was davening, nizdamen loy rak, and it happened that Rav Ashi needed to spit. Pat pitkei he turned back and he spat. So now we've got a problem here. He didn't put it in his garment. So Amalei, so um, Ravina said to Rav Ashi, lo saver la mar lahad Rav Yudata, do not hold is the master he asked him in a very respectful way in like third person does master not hold like Rav Yehuda that you should spit into your uh, turban so Rav Ashi responded I'm of sensitive demeanor meaning I don't, I'm too sensitive to spit even into my turban I don't want to sit with a turban on my head that I've just spat in um, uh, and because it's not an isur, because it's not, it's only about covered to tefillah, mm-hmm. and, and if I had to sit there um, with, with spit in my turban, I would be disgusted, and I wouldn't be able to concentrate in davening. So therefore, it's better that I spit elsewhere um, than spit in my turban and, uh, and struggle in davening, and that's what, why he's allowed to do it. So, like, my son, he, he often, like, Will, will chew on his shirt or like, you know, wipe, use his shirt to wipe his mouth. And I think, how could you do that to your shirts? 
But he's a kid, he doesn't mind it. Me, personally, I would think, you know, if I've got a dirty shirt, it's very uncomfortable. So it all depends on a person. Okay, so again, we've, we've answered up the different challenges by either saying it wasn't, uh, it was uh, involuntary, um, and where he did it, where, so in his case, where he yawned or he belched, it was, it just came up. In the case where he spat, he spat into his garment or he was gentle of a spirit. Um, and, um, and we explained how his behavior was appropriate, whereas those other actions, it can be inappropriate. Um, and it depends on how you do it. Somebody that raises his, his mouth in davening, So we said that somebody raises his mouth in davening, his voice in davening, he's from the low of, uh, of emunah. This is only when you can focus your, your heart in a whisper. But some people, they need to say it out loud in order to concentrate. But if you can't concentrate well while you are, um, while you are davening and you actually need to raise your, uh, to raise your voice to, and to concentrate better, uh, then it's permissible. But this is only when you're davening on your own um, that you can daven aloud. But if you daven aloud, even to increase your concentration, you'll come to disturb. Tzibura, you'll disturb the community and that's not allowed, even though you'll concentrate better. So we see from this clearly that you should rather um, daven with, so to speak, you should, you should rather daven with less kavona than act in a way that could ruin the experience for others. Because your personal experience is not it will not trump the communal experience, which is an important lesson that we should put away in our lesson bank. Okay, Rabbi Abba have a mishtamit minay. This is a funny, uh, quite a funny story, but quite a controversial story. It says Rabbi Abba he was trying to um, what's mishtamit minay to to get uh, to not be in front of uh, you keep away. They translate you to. Uh, is a better word. Uh, Rabbi Abba was trying to keep away from the Rav Yehuda. Because Rabbi Abba was trying to make Aliyah to go up to live in Eretz Yisrael. But Rav Yehuda held he wasn't allowed to. Whoever goes up from Babel or from exile to Eretz Yisrael, over Ba'asa, he transgresses a positive commandment. You hear this, Eli? Shneemar, Bavela Yuvau, Vishamayu. When you come to Bela, when you come to Babylon, there they must stay. Um, and so Rav Yehuda understands that to mean that it's about the people. Once we go into exile, the only way we can come back is when Hashem brings us back with Mashiach. Whereas uh, others understand that Pasuk is going about going on the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. That once the exile, the Babylonians, took those uh, vessels of the Beit HaMikdash, they're only going to come to back to the Beit HaMikdash eventually in the times of the redemption, not before then. So anyway, and again, it's only Rabbi Yehuda. We don't really hold like him. We don't hold like him in this context. But this is one of the sources, I guess, for those that say that you can only make Aliyah, you can only go live in Eretz Israel when Mashiach comes. Um, so it says here, 
Ad yo, sorry, I, I didn't read the whole translation. The whole pasuk shneema bebele yovo v'shama you ad yom pokti otam neumashem that you will stay or they will stay uh, there in Babylon until the day that I remember you, says Hashem. So that's why he was trying to avoid uh, Rav Yehuda because he didn't want to get a guilt trip from from somebody so important like Rav Yehuda, who probably was some type of teacher to him as well. Um, sounds like a similar thing, you know, if you're a, a rabbi um, and you want to make aliyah, hopefully, uh, you know, the community doesn't want you to go. They want you to stay. Um, be, uh, so you try to avoid them, you know, I guess. Um, uh, you try to avoid those difficult conversations. Anyway, Amar Aizel Ve'esh Maminai Milta. So he was busy trying to avoid Rabbi Yehuda, but he still wanted to go learn Torah. So he went to stand outside the Beit, Beit Midrash to try and hear a little bit of Torah. Mi Beit Vada. Vahadar Apik Azal Ashrichai Latana, and he went and he heard the teacher teaching. The Tani Kamed Rav Yehuda that this Tana, the, the uh, person who knew the Tanoik, the brighters, and he, he was saying this brighter with this Tanoik source in front of Rav Yehuda. Haya oimed betfila, somebody who is standing in davening, venit atesh, and he uh, flatulates. Um, uh, he does a sneeze from below. What must he do? Mamtim ad sheyichle haruach, he should wait, he should stop davening. Vechoyzer umit palal, and then once the smell has dissipated, he can go back and daven. So it's inappropriate to daven if there's a bad smell. Ika daamri, there are those that say another version. Haya oimed betfila, he uh, was standing in davening, and he needed to flatulate. He can move away from where he was davening, four amot, two meters, and then flatulate. And then he waits over there until the smell has passed, and then he goes back, and there's a discussion whether he, go, he, he goes back to where he davened, where he was standing, or he actually doesn't, and he first says this prayer, Umit Palau. He does a prayer. Now, this is interesting because it's in the middle of the Amida, this prayer, but once he's already made some type of hefsek, some type of break in his Amida to go and flatulate two meters away, he can now do another hefsek, which is to, uh, uh, to kind of ask Hashem for mercy, the fact that he had to go and flatulate. And what does he say? This is his prayer. Master of the universe. You formed us with holes, orifices. It's revealed and known before you. Our disgrace. In our lives. And beyond our lives. Remember that we, we become uh, just, um, um, we eaten by maggots. Uh, meaning we, we, we lowly people in this world. We've got orifices, we, you know, we can't control ourselves. And in the next world, we're also lowly because in the, we physically become just eaten by maggots. Um, and, and that's his prayer because he's saying to Hashem, I'm sorry I had to uh, move away while I was davening, but you made me in such a way, and you know this, you're going to be merciful on this. And then, 
he goes back or he stands there and continues his Amidah. And he goes back and he starts his Amidah again from where he stopped. Um, so now Rav Rebbe uh, Abba, who was standing outside the Beit Midrash, and he heard this teaching that was said in front of Rabbi Yehuda. He says, If the only thing I came to to hear was this one line that about uh, what to do if you need to flagellate during the Amidah, it would have been enough. Meaning my, my effort to come and learn was enough just for this line. That's how important this line is. Okay. You were sleeping in your cloak, in a garment. You were sleeping naked, but you had your blanket or your garment over you, keeping you warm. And you're not, you're not able to take your head out of under the covers because of the cold. Now, it's not because you're too tired. It's because you're so freezing, but you want to say Shema. And you don't want it the time to pass when you're going to miss Shema. But you can't put out your head. And you, and, you, and you don't have time to get dressed in the meantime. So he says, what must you do? Now you're standing, you're under the blanket, you're naked. So you need to make, and you, you're covered. So you need to make some type of separation between your head and your lower body. Uh, because you can't say Shema until, unless you've got some separation. So he says, uh, You kind of create a type of chatzitza, a, a, a boundary between your head and your lower part around your shoulders. So what I'm picturing is you've got the blanket either above you and you just kind of pull down the blanket and pull it around your neck to make a separation between your upper part, your brain, your head, which is the seichel, which is the choshev part of your body, and the lower part of your body. And then you read Shema. Um, and there are those that say, no, it's not just enough to make a chatzitza between your head and your uh, lower body, but you actually have to make a chatzitza rather by, below your heart, because there shouldn't be a, there should be a break, a separation between your heart and your erva, your, your naked part of your body. Um, and uh, it's not to say that your heart sees your body, your, the you know, genitalia, but rather as a, you have to separate between the choshuv, the important organs, and the less important or the less sophisticated organs when you are saying shema. Vatanakama, so now we've got a machloket, right? Do you cover your, do you make a machatitza between your head and the, your body or your heart and your body? So it says, Vatanakama hare liboroeta erva. We can ask a question on the Tanakama because we have a halacha that your heart shouldn't see your erva. You should have a separation between the two. And that's why Hasidim, um, they take a gartel and they tie it around their waist to make a separation between their heart and their lower part. But we hold, you don't have to have a gartel as long as you've got pants on or something like with an elastic uh, that separates your top part and your bottom part. So this Tanakama holds that uh, if you to your heart, seeing your naked part is actually allowed. It's not a problem. If you are walking through dirty alleyways, and you were saying Shema, 
Maniach yad, again, you, you, in a way that you have to say Shema now, otherwise you're going to miss it, or now it's the best time to say Shema. So you're walking through this dirty alleyway. Maniach yad al-piv, you take your mouth, your hand, and you put it on your mouth. Um, uh, al-piv, Shema. And then you can read Shema. Amalei Rav Elohim. By God, Imam Rali Rabbi Yochanan. So now this person, um, uh, Rabbi Rav Huna in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, he said you can say Shema in a, in a smelly area by just covering your mouth. Uh, Rav Chista says to him, if, if Rabbi Yochanan himself would have told me this, you telling me in the name of Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan, but if you would have told me, if Rabbi Yochanan himself would have told me this, but Pumay with his mouth, I wouldn't have even listened. I wouldn't have believed it possible, right? That you can say something so outrageous. I wouldn't listen to it. Ikadamri, another version. If you're walking in these dirty alleyways, put your hand on your mouth for correct If Rabbi Shuben Levi himself would have told me this, I wouldn't have listened to him. How can you say Shema in a, in a filthy, dirty, smelly place? Even if you cover your mouth, it's not allowed. So now, now we're going to go into this discussion. Umi Amar Rabbi Ravuna, Rabbi Huna, Ravuna. Did Ravuna really say this? Hachi. Vama Ravuna, didn't Ravuna say, Tamichochem asulo lamod b'makumamatunefet, a Tamichochem is forbidden to stand in a dirty place. Lefisha iev shalo lamod b'lihirur Torah, because a Tamichochem can't stand uh, and not think of Torah. So therefore he can't stand in a dirty place because he's bound to think of Torah in that place. Obviously he has to bath, he has to go to the toilet. But if he can avoid those things, he can't stand in a dirty place. So we see from here that Rav Huna holds, you can't stand in a dirty place. Whereas he said previously, in the name of certain people, that you can walk through a dirty place and say Shema. So how can you not learn Torah in a dirty place, but say Shema? So Lokasha, Kan Ba'oimed, Kan Ba'mahalach. Not a problem. Why? Because in the one case, you are standing, and that's allowed. Not allowed. Whereas in the other place, you're walking, and that's permitted. Why? What's the difference? So the Pasuk to learn, that you're not allowed to um, say, you're not allowed to daven or say Shema or learn Torah, in a place where it's dirty, it's from a pasuk that says, Vaya machanecha kadosh. Your, your camp must be holy. Um, and, uh, and that refers to that you, you not, you, when you in the camp, when they were living in the desert, they would go out to the outskirts of the camp and dig a hole and go to the toilet there, but not to make the camp where there was torrent filler um, a, a place where there was filth. Um, so what they learned from here is what it wasn't in Machanechel that your your camp where you are that's stationary, right? But if you're walking, that's not your camp. That's not where your home is. So they learn from that that if you as long as you're walking through a place, then you can block your mouth. But if you're standing in a place, then blocking your mouth doesn't help, and you can't learn Torah or say Shema there. Now we said it in the, the Rav Huna said it in the Rav Yochanan. Did Rabbi Yochanan really say that you can walk through a, a dirty alleyway um, and just put your hand on your mouth? Vama Rabbi Bar Bar Chana Amar Rabbi Yochanan 
It's permitted to think words of Torah in every place. Except in a bathhouse or in a toilet. So you can't say, you can't think Torah thoughts in a dirty place. And Rabbi Yochanan, these are Rabbi Yochanan's words. Maybe you'll say the same answer that we've already said. The one case is where you walk, in the other case is you're standing. Is this so? You can't answer that way. Rabbi Abau was going with Rabbi Yochanan. Um, and Rabbi Yochanan was saying Kriyachma. Um, but when he got to the dirty places he and was walking through them, he stopped saying Shema. Amalei Rabbi Yochanan, so Rabbi Abau said to Rabbi Yochanan, Laheichan Ahadar, where should I go back to? Now that I've stopped saying Shema, where should I go back and and say Shema from? The place where I left off, where I had to walk through the dirty place, or from the very beginning. Amalei, Rabbi Yochanan says to him, Im shehita ligmor et kula, if you were silent enough walking through the this dirty place, enough to finish the whole Shema, ligmor et kula, chazol um, then you have to go back to the very beginning of the Shema. But if you were only silent for a short time, then you can go back to where you stopped saying the Shema. Now what do you see from here? Um, that Rabbi Yochanan himself, he say, he didn't say to he didn't say put your hand over your mouth and say the Shema while you're walking through the dirty place. He understood that uh, Rabbi Abau wasn't meant to say Shema even though he was walking. So we can't answer up that Rabbi Yochanan says in the one place you can say Shema in a dirty place walking but not standing. So it says like this: No, Haki Kamalei. So Rabbi Yochanan was answering the question. So it was a ba- Rabbi Abau was saying Shema. Rabbi Yochanan wasn't. He says, According to me, I held that you don't even have to stop because you can just put your hand on your mouth. But to you, who obviously holds, you can't even uh, put your hand on your mouth while you're walking through some a dirty place. Um, so according to me, you didn't need to stop saying Shema. According to you, you did have to stop. And if you do have to stop, then it's a halachic question of do you go back to the beginning of Shema or do you just go back to where you ended off? And that depends on how long your break was while you're saying Shema. Tanya Kedvata de Ravuna. We have a brighter that supports Ravuna. Uh, remember, Ravuna was the one that held you can walk through a dirty place um, as long as you're walking and cover your mouth. And there's a brighter that supports Rav Chista who holds that you can't walk through a dirty place and just block your mouth. You actually have to uh, not say Shema. It's a brighter like Rav Huna. It's clear. Rav, Rav, there's a brighter that says that if you walk through a dirty place, you can put your hand on your mouth and keep walking and saying Shema. Tanya Kavate, the Rav Chista, there's a brighter that supports Rav Chista, Hayam Mahalach Bevot Amutunafot, Lo Yikra Shema at all. You sh- if you're walking through a dirty place, do not walk, say Shema at all. Velo Or, and not only that, Elesh Imaya Kore Uba Poisek, that uh, if you um, 
were reading Shema, when you entered into the dirty alley, you must actually stop. Um, um, and we see from here that it's not good enough to block your mouth. You actually not mustn't say Shema at all. According to Rav Chista, and there's a bright that supports him, and according to Rav Huna, you're allowed to put your hand over your mouth, and in that way, um, uh, keep saying Shema. Okay, guys, Shkoch, we nearly finished the Amud. Please, God, we will continue on next Tuesday with the next Amud. Have a great night and a Heilige Shabbos, boys.